evening, everyone. Tonight's class is titled, Good or Bad, It's Up to You. And we're going to learn how each one of us has the ability to take items and either elevate it or, God forbid, the opposite. You know, Herschel, he lived at the times of Reb Chaim Chernovitz. Reb Chaim Chernovitz, he was a disciple of the Magad of Mizrich. He was, to a certain extent, we'll call him a contemporary of Reb Shner Zalman of Liadi around the same time. And he was once going around traveling, collecting money for Pidya and Shivuyim, collecting money for those that were trapped. Um, they, ha- they, had been not, they had been unable to pay their rent. And at that time, if you couldn't pay your rent, your landlord would come and yeah. throw you in prison. So Reb Chaim Chernovitz was going from town to town collecting money. He needed 1,500 ruble to redeem this one family. Herschel was the uh, joker of the town. Everyone knew that he was just a comedian. And unfortunately, though, as oftentimes, he was a very negative comedian. He would, you know, make fun of everyone else, make light of everyone else. And wherever he could get in a laugh, he would do that. Reb Chaim Chernovitz was aware of this. He's walking in the marketplace, and he sees this massive group, and who's in the center? Herschel. And he tries to avoid. Herschel sees him and he says, Hey, Rabbi, what are you doing here? He has no choice. And he responds, he says, There's a family in a dungeon right now. And I'm looking to get them out. So now the group is fascinated. They can't wait to see what Herschel's going to do at the rabbi's expense. So everyone's laughing and Herschel says, Okay, how much do you need? 1,500 ruble. Okay, come here, Herschel says. I'll give it to you. Everyone's really excited. You know, he's going to play you a trick. You know, you stick at your hand and you don't give him anything. So the rabbi says, I, I'm not so interested. He says, no, 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 I really need it. The rabbi comes and he gives him 1,500 ruble. Mm. And Rabbi Chaim, he, he just didn't know what to do. He was unbelievable. He couldn't fathom that this Herschel had just given him the entire amount. And no one there really understood what happened. Everyone thought he was going to make a joke, and he actually gave him all the money. So, Rebbe Chaim is thinking, he's like, what could I give this man? He and I are on such different levels. What could I give him that he'll appreciate? <coughs> Rebbe Chaim Chernovitz is known for a safer he authored on the holiness of Shabbos. So he turns to Hershley and says, you know, I can't give you much, but I bless you to appreciate Shabbos. My blessing is you should fully appreciate Shabbos. Thank you, Amen. Herschel had no more money. He was in the fair, as I said, at the town. And he left. He had no more money at that point, and he goes home. And as it's coming closer to Shabbos, for the first time, he's feeling this incredible energy within him. He doesn't know what to do. And as Shabbos comes Friday night, he's normally the guy in the back making all the noise. Today he's up front, davening with fervor. And everyone thought again, he was making a joke, and yet this Shabbos was fully different. Comes Sunday, he's back to his normal self. Okay? The entire week he's back to his normal self. Shabbos comes, and he turns to Herschel the Chassid, we'll call it. And it went on for a few months, where every Shabbos he was one person, and the rest of, week, the, rest of the week another. Finally, he had enough. He couldn't handle this double person this double persona that he had. Are you talking about the comic or the rabbi? The, com- the comedian, okay. Herschel. And 
he goes to Chaim Trinovitz, he says, look, I can't handle this anymore. He responds to the rabbi, he says, okay, so you need to make your weekday also holy. And stay by me, and we'll, we'll work on that. And Herschel stayed with Reb Chaim, and he became one of his close followers. When Reb Chaim later on moved to Tzvaz, Herschel went with him, and what became a strong follower of Reb Chaim. But jokes are a method, very often, that lead to negativity. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we say, if someone's just a jokester, so oftentimes he has a negative energy around him. Similarly, really good fat meat is normally not something that we eat in service of Hashem. Normally when you have something like a really serious steak, it's more you're having, you're having a party. And similarly when you're having beer or if you're having a very expensive wine, oftentimes it's not the holiest occasion. So far we've listed three things. We said joking, fatty meat, spicy wine in the words of the Tanya. And the fourth thing is that um, this is an energy that could be used for the holiest or unfortunately the opposite when we have uh, marital relations that could be the holiest or God forbid the opposite item that could happen. So these four things I never said it's a problem. I said it's, it's a tool that unfortunately oftentimes will lead to inappropriate behavior. You know, you, you just at this, you're like filling yourself up and you're full and rather than having a godly experience, you're, you're just being a glutton at the time. So these four things are items we're going to discuss in the Tanya that we choose what we're going to do with them. Wasn't it the practice of a lot of Rosh Yeshivas to begin the lecture with a joke? Yes, yes. And, and that's what we're, we're going to actually mention that. That's exactly what we're going to mention. That jokes can be used for the good, even though oftentimes, unfortunately, it's used for the bad. This is Klipas Neuge. This is a continuation of last week where we discussed this intermediate level of, of this shell that exists, Klipas Neuge. We're going to learn that, that Many things in life that are permitted, it's up to us whether we're going to use them out for the good or for the bad. You know, fat leading to gluttony. Yeah. When I was a kid, my mother, very close to the shtetl still, my mother had my brother and I, we all fought over the fat on the meat. We fought over it. And I think that could lead to gluttony. Interesting. We fought. And the gribbonness. So in our Tanya, let's go inside in the, in the handout itself, we're on page number two. In the handout, we're on page number two. Perik Zion. Perik Zion. We're on page number two. Third line, such is the case. In the Tanya itself, we're on page 28. Or in the Hebrew, we're on page 22. In the Tanya, we're on page 28. And we're holding four lines from the bottom of the left column. Such is the case. What is this intermediate level that we could use for the good or the bad, says the Tanya. Such is the case, for example, of one who eats fat beef and drinks spiced wine. 
And like we've mentioned, let's look at four in our hand, at number four. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 32.15. We're over here, we can see the negativity of fat. And, and Yeshurun became fat and rebelled. Footnote number four. You grew fat, thick and round. Israel forsook the God who made them and spurred the mighty rock of their salvation. So here we see that eating, eating good and delicious food, fatty food, unfortunately, has a negative effect. And let's look at Hannah number five. This is the quote from Kuntres Ho'avoda, chapter two. Kuntres Ho'avoda was written by the fifth Rabbi Rabshalom Ber. He wrote it for the students of Yeshiva's template Mimim. And in it, he's writing about traits that a person should act with. And he quotes, Generally speaking, all is dependent on the desire for food and eating. This is a very scary quote. And forgive me if I do scare you. This is the cause for all bad attributes. That means the desire for food and eating leads to all bad attributes. Refining this bad desire will support and ease the refinement of all attributes. Through weakening this bad desire, eating to sustain the body, all negative attributes are weakened. Very powerful. So food and drink, if we, if we use it in a negative fashion, although there's nothing wrong, it's kosher food. This is so important what we're saying. We're not saying, God forbid, someone's eating non-kosher food. You're eating kosher food. You're at the holiest party. And yet you are indulging in that party. Then it could, God forbid, lead to negative effects. Oftentimes, we say, oh, something's kosher. It's permissible. But momentarily, we're going to see being permissible and us eating it are oftentimes not connected. And we'll see that inside. But now we see, again, that food oftentimes could lead to negative. And that's why Rabbi Shneir Zalman is saying he who eats fat beef and drinks spiced wine in order to broaden his mind for the service of God and his Torah. Ah! So you're taking this fatty beef and, and spiced wine and you're using it for Hashem. As Rava said, wine and fragrance make a man's mind more receptive. Rava tells us that if we eat good food, then we have the ability to better understand at times. Or in order to fulfill, that's one reason you would eat, because yes, if we have good food with the proper intention, we're able to go ahead and serve Hashem better. And another reason, what's another reason why you would eat for a holy cause? For Shabbos. Shabbos, it's a mitzvah to eat. And therefore, in order, if you're eating this good food in order to fulfill the command concerning the enjoyment of the Shabbos and festivals, well then, you're doing it for a holy cause. In such a case, the vitality of the meat and wine originating in Klipas Noiga is distilled and ascends to Hashem like a burnt offering and a sacrifice. Look at this power we have. If we take food and we use it out for a good cause, whether it's to serve Hashem better, whether it's to go ahead and, and have a more exciting Shabbos, then we're extracting from that food, the holiness within it, and we're sending it to Hashem, like a carbon, like a burnt offering or a sacrifice. What do you mean like? It's either or. 
are we serving Hashem at the burnt offering? Or is it like a sacrifice? Well, it depends what you're using. If you're eating fatty meat, fatty meat is, a, is something that's a burnt offering. You burn on the, on the altar, one of the items given to Hashem was meat. So if we serve Hashem with fatty meat, then it's a burnt offering. But if we serve Hashem through wine, well, there was no burnt offerings of wine, but there was wine that was poured on the Mizbeah for holy causes, and that's the difference. If it's a burnt offering or sacrifice, it depends are you using the fatty meat or are you using the wine to elevate your service of Hashem. Can anyone here think of some, sa- some examples of how we can change the items in this world? Can anyone give me an example of items that we physically affect? We physically what? We physically affect them, change them. Let me give you an example, meat and milk. Meat is kosher, milk is kosher. We cook with meat and milk, we have changed the essence of that item. Meat has godliness within it. Milk has godliness within it. By us putting them together, we've changed the very essence of that, of that item. So we have the ability, clearly, to change items in this world. Another example. If you go ahead and say, these chips are prohibited to me for the next month and eat them, well, now you've put negative energy in them for you. I can't eat them. If I eat them, well, they have negative energy. I'm bringing negativity within myself. So we clearly have the ability to affect this world, and similarly, we clearly have the ability to elevate items within this world. You know, we often, we oftentimes do find that food is a method of serving Hashem, and I'd like to give you two examples. We all know the famous story where Yitzchak, Isaac turns to Esau, his oldest son, and he says, you know, Esau, I really want to bless you, but I need food in order to bless you. What? What, what? what does that mean? I need food in order to bless you? Why do you need food in order to bless someone? Maybe this is the reason why Jews don't do anything without food. Right? But why did Yitzchak say, I need food to bless you? Well, to bless someone, we need to be happy. Food makes us happy. And therefore Yitzchak didn't say, bring me food. He said, bring me the food I love. What? Yitzchak, God forbid, he was a glutton? God forbid. What, he was so picky? I only like this type of food? No. He was like, I want to bless you, and I want to give you the ultimate blessing. But, help me out. Put me in that proper frame of mind, and in order to do that, I'm asking you to go and get my favorite food. One example. A second example. When I heard this story, I couldn't believe it. And then the person explained to me the logic behind it. The two Rezahov, the Taz, anyone familiar with the Taz? The Taz is a, one of the foremost commentators on the Shulchan Aruch of Rabbi Yosef Karo. Well, the Taz had a scholar for a father-in-law, the Bach, the Bayez the commentators on the tour. So to give you a small amount of history to allow you to fully understand this story. The tour was a son of the Roche. 
the Rosh is um, in the back of every Gemara you have the comments of the Rosh he compiled the halachic areas of every Talmudic traffic his son, the Tur took all of the commentary of his father that's scattered around in all the different tractates and now compiled it in an order. He was, a, he was one of the first people to make an order to the halachos. So on the tour there's an author called the Bayez Chadash. The, the Bayez Chadash has a son-in-law called the Taj. He was a rich man, the Bach, and he told the son-in-law, he says, look, I will sustain you for 10 years. Every day, I will give you a substantial amount of food. He became poor, unfortunately. And his son-in-law took him to court. The Taz took his father-in-law to Bach to Basin and said, you owe me money, you owe me food. It's a very, very low thing to take your father-in-law to court because he's not giving you enough food. He's a poor man now. What do you want from him? Interesting to know that he was Sephardi. <laughs> Why did he do it? He wasn't, he was a Torah scholar. You should know the Taz and the Ba'ath, they fought terribly in Torah, Torah knowledge. They wrote nasty things about each other in, in Torah writings. But it's interesting, it's allowed. When you're fighting in Torah, you're allowed to fight. You don't have to agree with someone. You have to agree if they're on a different level than you. But if you're on the same level, you don't have to agree. So they fought terribly. But nonetheless, they were both Torah scholars, and the Taz wasn't taking his father-in-law to court just to get him. Why did he take him? Because he said, you promised me food for 10 years. Without that food, I can't learn properly. So I need that food. I need to be able to eat properly, sustain myself, and learn appropriately. That's why. So we see clearly that food has the ability to put us in a holy frame of mind. And if we do that, we take the sparks within it, and elevate them. Similarly, like David said, jokes. You know, just last week, there was a Chabad nearby, a Chabad house that brought in a comedian. The point was to make a holy event and, by, and yet at the same time make a happy event. When I was in yeshiva, when I was 20 years old, so my rush yeshiva, there's a custom in the yeshiva to make a big celebration on his birthday. And one of the things we did is we brought down for his birthday a big rabbi who himself, but this guy is also a comedian, a botsin. So he brought down a botsin to put everyone in a happy mood, allowing us to learn better later on. And that's what we're learning now. So too, back in the Tanya, when a man utters a pleasantry in order to sharpen his wits and rejoice his heart in God, in his Torah and service, which should be practiced joyfully. These three items of serving Hashem, learning Torah, service is a reference to prayer. These three items need to be done happily. Well, if you're going to go ahead and put yourself in a good mood by listening to a fun joke beforehand, as Rava would do with his pupils, prefacing his discourse with some witty remark to enliven the students thereby, not only is that allowed, that is holy. That is, one, that is tremendous. Imagine you're a teacher and everyone sleeps in your class. That is not holy. If you go ahead and you say stories and jokes and you wake everyone up, so your jokes are also Torah. Your jokes themselves are part of serving Hashem. 
We don't say that jokes are, no, the jokes are a method of service of Hashem. Let's see that quote from Rava. Yes, we appreciate David's, David's jokes, putting us in the mood right before. Let's look at number seven. It's a quote from Shabbos 30b. We see the original quote from the Gemara regarding Rava. Interesting to note, our, in the Tanya we quote the saying from Rava, and yet the Gemara and Shabbos, the version that the Gemara has is that it's a quote from Rava. Rava and Rava lived one generation apart. Number seven. Rava, before he commenced his discourse, before the scholars used to say something humorous, and the scholars were happy. After that, he sat in awe and began the discourse. No, he didn't start off with a joke and, that, and the whole class was hefker, as we say, was loose. No, no, no. <laughs> he sat in awe. He, he, he brought back in the reins. But he started off in a happy environment. And so again, if we use food to serve Hashem, if we use jokes to go, something witty to go and serve Hashem, we've elevated whatever we've said or done at the time. Is there a mitzvah on Shabbos to have good food? You know, we spoke about, we spoke earlier about Shabbos. Is there a mitzvah to have good food on Shabbos? It's Hedor Hashem. It's making Hashem, it's beautifying Hashem. There is a mitzvah to have good food on Shabbos. Let's look at number six. What is meant by Shabbos delight? It says we have to delight on Shabbos. What does it mean to delight on Shabbos? This refers to our sage's statement that a person must prepare a particularly sumptuous dish and, pleasantry and, and pleasantly flavored beverage for the Shabbos. Clearly, we have to have good food. All this must be done within the context of a person's financial status. I think that's important. We don't have to overblow it and overdo it. We do need to go ahead and invest in Shabbos and give it as much as we can. Just to, on a short note, there's a famous story the Gemara shares of Yosef Meikir Shabbos. Yosef who honored Shabbos. Yosef was a poor man, and yet he would invest everything in Shabbos. His downstairs neighbor went to, was, was filthy rich as they say, and he went to astrologers, and they looked in the stars and they saw that this, his, that the rich man's neighbor, in other words, Yosef, is going to get all his money. That's what the stars said. The yeah, the rich man's money is all going to go to Yosef. So Yosef went ahead. So the rich man went ahead and he sold all his money and he bought a diamond and he put the diamond in his hat. And he said, this Yosef is not touching my money. He once was going over a bridge, his hat flew off. Yosef, meanwhile, goes and he spends all his money on a fish for Shabbos. He cuts it open, and there is the diamond, a clear story in the Gemara. So I am not telling you to not delight in Shabbos and invest what you can. That's not what the, the, the quote from the Rambam is not saying to not, to just give as little as you can. Yes, certainly, you should give it all you got. But the Rambam is reminding us we just need to be conscious not to make ourselves poor because we're celebrating for Shabbos. Yes, brother. There's a specific part in the Gemara that says the community is to make sure that nothing else is done, that everybody is able to celebrate 
Shabbos at a joyous level, and there's a committee that was responsible to see that no matter how the poor the members of the community were, that they had the best with which to celebrate Shabbos. Absolutely. Thank you. That Shabbos, it is important, it's the responsibility of the community to make sure that they have food necessary. There's even a quote. And Toynchei Shabbos, Tamchei Shabbos, depends on how you're going to read it. But there is groups that are responsible for it. So until now, we've said the positive. The positive. Eat the food for a good reason. Say jokes for a good reason. But there is also the negative, And that's where we're going to continue. So too. We're up to the next paragraph. Again, in our handout number two. In, in the time of page 28, right column. Sorry, not so too. We're up to, on the other hand. On the other hand. On the other hand, he who belongs to those who gluttonously guzzle meat and quaff wine in order to satisfy their bodily appetites and animal nature where does the power for desires come from in chapter one we discussed how the soul is made up of four foundations water fire dust and air and we discussed how each one of the foundations of the animalistic soul has negative energies coming from it. Fire, we said, is haughtiness. Fire is, causes anger. Wind causes devar and betela, words of, words of nothingness. You know, uh, they have nothing to it, they're like air. Sim- I, I apologize. Haughtiness comes from comes from air also. Haughtiness has some, nothing to do with it either, yeah. But pleasures come from the foundation of water within the animalistic soul. That's what water does. It grows. It grows pleasures. It grows good things, but oftentimes it grows delightful things. So within our soul, the a- aspect of our soul that wants a pleasure wants perhaps even lust something that comes from the aspect of water and that's what Rishnir Zalman continues that he who belongs to those who gluttonously guzzle meat and quaff wine in order to satisfy their bodily appetites and animal nature where does this come from derived from the so-called element of water of the four evil elements contained therein from which comes the vice of lust so the at the foundation of water, making up the animal soul, is the aspect which creates that lust or bodily appetites. In such case, the energy of the meat and wine consumed by him is degraded. It's absorbed temporarily in the utter evil of the three unclean clepos. You have taken this good meat potentially holy, and rather than eating it for a good cause, you've eaten it for a bad cause, you've drawn it down into utter klipa. Complete klipa. Complete uncleanliness. You have drawn the holiness within this good meat, drawn, drawn it down, and your body, in addition to the meat, your body temporarily becomes a garment and vehicle for them. The person who ate this meat, he 
is like your shirt. Just like your shirt, my shamanu, did your shirt ever walk away from you? Never walked away. It always went wherever you go, right? The same thing. <laughs> someone, someone that eats for an animalistic reason, an animalistic, again, if you're eating, you're allowed to eat good food and, and use the outside energy for the good. We're talking about you're eating good food and you're using that energy for the bad or for bad purposes. So then you've made yourself like a shirt to negative energy. Just, just to recap, you've drawn negative energy inside of you, and that negative energy now controls you, just like you con your, you control your shirt. Yes, go ahead. What does that word, what does that mean? See if I understand what you're saying. You're saying that it's not about the action you're going to do. It's about what you're the very reason you're eating. Is that what you're saying? Well, you're you're no, saying I, if you would use the energy of this food for something negative, you understand. Yeah. But just the fact that you're eating it to do something else shouldn't have an effect. Very strict in moral or religious matters, often excessively so, originally austere, of relating to the characteristic of Puritans and Puritanism. Yeah. Rigidity for the sake of rigidity. It could also be just gnashing. So, but Joseph, were you, so what he just read was one, one who guzzles meat and costs wine? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like, that sounds to me like to excess. You know, that doesn't uh, sound like eating to, in moderation. That sounds like, uh, um, you know, just yeah. eating until you are well, sick, think, yeah. drinking um, until you are drunk. I don't, I don't know if he's talking about it like that, though. Well, I'm just looking at the Tanya. You know, I think on the one hand, he who to those who gluttonously guzzle meat and quaff one in order to satisfy their bodily appetites of animal nature. Dot, dot, dot. So that's, that's somebody that goes overboard. I'd like, with your permission, to look at handout number 8, 9, and 10. 
and hopefully uh, Dr. Yosef will be able to come back to your question and have some clarity. Eight, nine, and ten. Yeah. For all those red beans. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, I mean, presumably it was to satisfy his appetite, but he also. Let's, let's look <coughs> at 8, 9, and 10. And I hope we'll get some clarity from that. And, and I, I, heard your, I, heard your, I heard your example. Number 8. This was. <coughs> Two weeks ago, the parsha we read, Kedoshim Tihu, speak to the entire congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. What does it mean, you shall be holy? How should you be holy? Comes the Ramban, the Moshe Benachman, and he shares with us this very famous, yet tough, you ready? This is the Rambam. The idea of this commandment, what does it mean to be holy? What do you mean to, what do we need to do? What more should we do that we are commanded with already? The Torah says 613 commandments. What more do we need to be holy? The idea of this commandment is that the Torah warned against the forbidden relationships and foods. The Torah says clearly. You can't marry your sister. You're not allowed to be, eat the non-kosher animal. But it permitted marriage and the consumption of meat and wine. Accordingly, the sensual man could find room within the law to be steeped in excessive relations or have many wives. According right? to the Torah, before the rabbinic connection, you're allowed to have more than one wife. And to be among the gugglers of wine, among the the people of, you know, who are eating the meat and to speak as he pleases about all things. For the prohibition of such speech is not explicitly mentioned in the Torah. And lo and behold, this is a famous line right here, he will be a degenerate. Did I say that right? I'm sure a degenerate? Yeah. Yes. Within the parameters of what is permitted by the Torah. Therefore, this verse comes and commands, he shall be removed from the, excess, the excesses of permissible acts. So the Ramban says, what does it mean to be holy? It means to not to, to know that even what's permitted doesn't mean you're allowed to do it. Just because you have kosher meat doesn't mean you're allowed to eat it. Just because a man is allowed to you know, marry more than one person doesn't mean he should. And if you do do that, you are called a novel birushus hatoira. This is a quote that, unfortunately, whenever there's a powerful speech from a Rosh Yeshiva telling his students to shape up, he, he quotes these words: a novel birushus hatoira. You're using Torah, you're acting holy, and at the same time, you're a degenerate. It's not the demarcation between permitted and forbidden holiness. It's all that and only that. Which relates to God. Right. Right. To excess, right. To more, more than you're allowed to. I'm just making doing something. Correct. Correct. So the Ramban is saying if you're doing something 
for pleasure, for something that you're doing more than is necessary for you, then that would fall into this category. Excessive, right. Excessive has, in the literal translation, it means excessive more than is necessary. That's correct. But over here we're saying that if on a very, we're taking it on a very straight level, we're saying that you should only do what you need to do. Why? Why? We'll learn next week. But right now we're saying you should only do what's necessary. Now if you enjoy that, that's fine. That's great. But to go and just, so to say, have fun without doing it for good intention, meaning if someone wants to go and climb a mountain to, because he just needs to refresh his mind, refresh his mind, that's great. But if you are just doing something just because with no ulterior motive and nothing good will happen, even though it's allowed, that's not the best. And let's see now number 10, and then we'll try and put it all together. The permissible, when done for one's pleasure, this is very strong. The permissible, when done for one's pleasure, is completely evil. As the author Rebbe writes in Tanya, chapter 7, For we are commanded, Kedoshim to you, sanctify yourself with what is permitted to you. One must introduce sanctity into those matters that are permissible so that they serve the purpose of enhancing one's Torah, mitzvot, fear of God, and good character traits. So, anything... In hand, if you look at number two, just to make it clear, it's very easy to have pleasure and do it for Hashem. We learned this last week. Let's read it again. Number two. Our rabbis made their memory be for a blessing set. What is a short passage on which the entire body of Torah is dependent? Well, um, the, know him in all your ways. Know Hashem in everything. What does this mean? This means that even in the paths you follow for the sake of your physical needs, you must know God and carry out these functions for his name's sake. Blessed be he. For example, eating, drinking, walking, <coughs> sitting, laying, getting up, marital relations, conversation, all the needs of your body. They're all good and they're all, they're all, you're allowed to do them even because that's what's necessary. But do them for your service of your creator or as something which leads to his service. So clearly anything that's necessary for a person, and again, taking a vacation oftentimes is necessary. That's great. But let's have in mind that all of this is part of our master plan to follow what Hashem wants. I, I've seen in our years um, that so much of Judaism depends on intention. Like, I, well, our kids used to sleep in our van and for fun, you know. And uh, Shana Bracha said, Mom, you can't touch the van. You can't smoke something. And I said... Like for shots. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I meant to say that. And, yeah, I'm sorry. Anyway, she said it's muksa. And I said, I said, well, we're doing it for your sleepover. It's not for shots. So, yes, our, our intentions have a long, have a big part in what we do. 
Although our intentions are not focused, meaning if we dive in and we don't know a word we're saying, that's fine. As long as we just try and focus on the fact that we're diving into Hashem. But a better example would be if we go ahead and we, um, you know, put on filling without knowing what we're doing. We still put on filling. If we eat matzo, we eat in matzo. So yes, we need intention, but first comes the act. Good point. It's not necessarily muksa to touch an to touch an automobile on Shabbos unless you're moving it. It's, it's what happens when you touch it. It's what happens when you touch it. Yes, it makes yeah, well, what if, go dry. But if you turn the ignition or what if you turn on the light, that's what's bad. Well, but if you just yeah, if you yeah, just yeah, light it inside it, right? This is that, that there is point to that, and certainly we can yeah. discuss the following. It was a class. camper, by the way. So yeah, we still use it. What I'd like to do is I'd like to read a few more lines and then summarize everything together and take questions. If someone goes ahead and eats like a glutton with a negative intention, so then the energy that's within that food is degraded until when? Until the person repents, back in the Tanya, until the person repents and returns to the service of God in his Torah. Why? For in as much as the meat and wine were kosher, kosher food, they have the power to revert and ascend with him when he returns to the service of Hashem. The food is permissible. And therefore, as soon as this, this person will go ahead and return to Hashem, the energy within the food will, sim- will similarly go ahead and return. Food is already done. That's right. You know what? Well, let's stop here and summarize, and we'll continue from here next week. So, let's, so in summary, we've discussed that we have this intermediate energy, that's up to us. So far in the Tanya, we've seen three examples of items that oftentimes lead to negative, uh, uh, to negative energy, negative action, and yet we easily could take it and use it for the positive, whether it's fatty meat, spiced wine, or jokes. It's up to us how we're going to use it. If we go ahead and we don't have proper intentions, then the energy within these items, although it's kosher, it's not like you said a dirty joke. Dirty joke is inappropriate. It's not like you went ahead and ate something on kosher. You're not allowed to. That's not the conversation here. We're having a conversation of you're doing something completely allowed. It was kosher meat. It was kosher wine. It was a kosher joke. But, you're, but you've gotten involved in a negative group of people that are just laughing without limit. And we know we say in Shir HaMalais that all ye malais like Peter, that ultimate laughter, alter just letting go of ourselves is only when Mashiach comes. Today we have to be on guard. We can't just let loose. So then, we've allowed our energy to go to the three klipos that are completely evil, and only through tshuva can we take that energy and bring it back up. Any questions? Correct. Fire water. Dr. Yosef. Did, did we clarify it a little bit? Yeah, this is such a high bar. I mean, 
I mean, how many people think about you know when you good things when they're eating? I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I can see maybe one percent of the Jewish people. <laughs> I just have a question, and don't answer for this conversation. You know, I, I'm going to ask David, and David will give me a clear answer. I don't want to put you on the spot. David, why do you eat? Why do you eat? To sustain myself. Why do you want to sustain yourself? <laughs> to, to undertake the activities which are meaningful to me, uh, in the development of my person. Why do you want to develop your person? I don't want to sound phony because I, I don't. It, I, well, for instance, you know, it may be perverse. I get a kick out of studying Talmud uh, for legalistic and academic reasons. It's not entirely pure. Um, I can do that. I can also go out and turn right around and go shoot an antelope. That's important to me. Uh, I can do other things that are important. Read other things. Uh, spend Sunday reading the New York Times and feel better about my understanding and grasp of the world. There's a multitude of physical and academic things that I can't do unless I sustain myself. But if I may steer this, as long as you gave me the opening, even though I know I'm not supposed to, <laughs> the purpose of eating is always sanctified if one observes the mitzvah of a brocha at the beginning of the meeting and at berkat at the end and so one is constantly reminded that one is sustaining oneself not merely for <coughs> his own purposes but for the glorification of Hashem and if one indul not indulges, that's not the right word partakes of those important mitzvah then one is reminded constantly that one is not merely eating. If you take a snack, you good, have good a bracha. Point. Good point. Making the bracha itself is a method of remembering that Hashem, that we're doing everything for Hashem. You know, I want to share two points. A, I want to share is, it is a high bar. It is. Is it feasible? That's, the, that's why we're studying Tanya. Because Tanya is going to say, this is feasible. It is realistic. That's A. B. One of the Rebbe's had a similar question raised to him. And he went ahead and he called in his janitor. He says, why do you work? I want money. Why do, you, why do you want money? He said, I want to go to the bar. And why do you work the next day? He says, because I want to go and enjoy the bar again. Fair answer. He then called in his shamash. Shamash was the guy who cleans the shul, a Jewish man, a very simple and ignorant man. He says, why do you, why do you make money? He says, I eat. Why do I eat? Because I want to be able to live. Why do I want to live? To serve Hashem. The second a person recognizes that his life is here from Hashem, and the totality of his life is to serve Hashem, then you don't need to go and every chip you're eating, every time you sit down, say this, that's also a nice thing to say the shame yichud, which we do, by the way. Every time you make a bracha, you are clearly signifying and recognizing that it's all for Hashem. But even if you wouldn't, on every single bite, make that recognition. As long as we know that our essence is here, to have, we have a mission in this world, so then this whole chapter doesn't apply. 
we're going ahead and we're doing it for our holy sake. <coughs> Does that make sense? But, but, I, but I, I think that, uh, I mean, Brockles are good and everything. But, I, but, but he's saying just because he's saying Brockles before he and after he, that isn't enough. I mean, if I understand this right, he's saying that's not enough. You can't still be a glutton in between. Well, he's, yeah, but even if you're not a glutton, he's, he's saying that's not enough either. I mean, I mean right, gluttony is not enough. And, and you know, yes, you should be glutton. <laughs> But he's saying, but, but that isn't enough. You've got to do more. I mean, it, well, there's an important principle that the rabbis discussed at great length, in which, uh, with, with all due respect, uh, the altar Rebbe doesn't point out here, and he's going to later on, is that it is a paramount injunction to observe everything in moderation. Right. And if one is a glutton, one's not observing moderation. Right. You're never supposed to deny yourself, nor are you to proceed in excess. Hello. I want to add to what David said, and that is that precisely this point David pointed out, that uh, Dr. Yosef pointed out, making a bracha is not the solution. That's exactly what the Ramban is saying. You could be making brachas. You could be acting as if you're serving Hashem. You're doing everything the Torah requires, and yet you are a degenerate. You are a novel or a You are acting, you are following every precept of the Torah, and yet you're, you're a lowlife. So if the blessing is not the answer. That would be an appropriate thing. It's not about the blessings, it's about, it is about um, following up with the proper intention. And it is a high bar. But we have to leave this class knowing that it's a realistic one. We may not know how tonight, but I guarantee you that slowly as we learn the Tanya, you will know how it's re reasonable and realistic. I think of the <laughs> and I don't think God gives us more than we can handle. And I think of the Rebbe as an example. 